you have any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the murder of Barry J. Bean, you can find me at Mr. Bean's Podcast One on Twitter, all one word, or at Mr. Bean's Podcast, all one word, on Facebook. And you can listen to my podcast on all major streaming services. And today we got a former MMA fighter, current bare knuckle fighter for the BKFC lightweight title contender, Tom, a gentleman of violence, show. I don't know if you heard any other podcast yet. I, I saw the one that you had sent me. I hadn't had a chance to listen to it. Thanks for being kind of crazy. I, I assume it's not much different than what we're doing right now. No, exactly. That's all I want to do, man. Yeah, I started. A, I initially started the podcast because my dad. My dad was murdered when I was 16 years old. Sorry to hear and that. And so uh, I started doing podcasts, kind of get the word out and just see whatever information. Because unfortunately, I'm 37 now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh, pushed it out and then got into that and then. I realized that I didn't like talking about that. You know, it, it's taxing on the brain. So uh, what I started doing is, is just reaching out to people and see if they want to be on the podcast. Just to, so while, you know, maybe they're listening to you, they will pick up on some other stuff. It's kind of how it started. So. I got you. Very cool. Uh, and it just so happens that I ran into Greg College at Cameron. Okay. We was having a, you know, a, a man talk about MMA and, he brought you up, and I was like, "Man, I, I just I didn't pay attention to bare knuckle boxing at the time." And, mm-hmm. You know, we got into you know that, and then you know quickly I started watching it. And the first fight I seen of yours was the Joe fight, Joe Mar. Yes. Mm-hmm. As far as that fight goes, and I, I know you changed your weight, you know, since then, mm-hmm. but the rules. I feel like I know you was getting tagged some. You know what I mean? I don't feel like there was any devastating blows. I feel like the rules saved his ass because every time the ref would stop it. To give him a break for the blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think there was anything to that? Or Yeah, you know, actually that fight had a... Um, because of that fight... Uh, or let me rephrase. Anytime they have commission meetings now where they're going over new rules and regulations, especially for bare knuckle, that fight gets used. And basically what they do is they don't put... They don't air it with volume, but they have all the commissioners watch the fight and then they, they ask them who they thought won. Right. And nine times out of ten, people will say that they thought that I won that fight. But because of the knockdowns and the mandatory 10-8 for the knockdowns, I lost that fight. Um, they also started taking in to consideration removing points for stopping the fight for cuts. Like if you're cut and you're bleeding and they got to continually stop the fight, um, they're looking at neutralizing knockdowns for that as well. Um, but as far as the rules go... It was just one of those things that I just I wasn't fully cognizant of before going in there. We had an idea of it, um, and we understood that that was a reality of the situation. But we, it was so far in the back of our heads when while we were actually in the fight right. that uh, you know it just it it was just a, a, a shit circumstance, and you know, I learned from it. I mean, all in all, I mean, I know. You did get tagged, but I mean, I feel like that was a badass fight. I mean, yeah, it was a good fight. It was a very, I think, I'm, I want to say we got, you know, fight of the year for 2021. Yeah, it was a good fight. It was an exciting fight. Um, like I said, just didn't understand the rules to the best of my abilities, and it cost me. Now, so you, we talked earlier a little bit about you moving weights, mm-hmm. you know, uh, going down a weight class. Your first match with, with Diego, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, First match, I feel like you was controlling it, throwing your left out there. You was controlling the fight, and then this guy, you got knocked down. I think it went from the first and 
and ended in the second. He round. he beat me in the first round. Diego, Diego knocked me out in the first round. Yeah, he looks so much damn bigger than what he's listed on the internet. Mm-hmm. Because on the internet it says like five eight or five nine. There ain't no yeah. way in hell. No, he's 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 deceptively. The best way that I can describe it, it very similar to it, but this name won't ring a bell to anybody really. But the name, uh, my buddy Craig Fruth. Craig Fruth is 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 my height, but he's so wide that you wouldn't you 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 forget how tall he is. Right. And Diego's the same way. He's so wide that you don't realize that he's actually you know five ten no. five eleven. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he. Uh, he 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 was definitely bigger than they have listed on the internet. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The weight too. The, I just don't feel like there was no way y'all was close to the same weight that day. Um, he was having sucking some weight hard. Yeah, I think I feel like most people do, and that's what I didn't do for the first four fights of my BKFC career. Um, I didn't want to cut weight anymore. I had been fighting MMA for at that point. I want to say it was close to ten years when I made the. The trans the transfer over, and um, I just didn't want to cut weight anymore. I was tired of the grappling and cutting weight and dealing with heavy people laying on me all the time. And I was under the impression like this is boxing, you know, this is striking. So I'm not gonna have to cut any weight because I don't have to worry about these guys laying on top of me. I can handle fighting guys that are you know or sparring with guys who are 15 pounds heavier than me. Why can't I handle fighting guys who are 15 right, pounds heavier right. than me? Well, again, you know, something my brain didn't think about or cross over properly was that sparring and fighting are two completely different things. And these guys are still cutting weight, you know. So even though I'm coming in at 170 pounds, these guys are coming in at 180 pounds, 190 pounds, 200 pounds. You know, when I fought Julian, I saw Julian cutting weight that day. We fought at 170 and uh, he, he was easily 190 pounds the next day when we fought. Uh, same with Joe Elmore and Diego. You know, they 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 both pulled a tremendous amount of weight to get down to 165, and then ballooned back up to whatever they were. At. I think Joe said he was 194 the next day when we fought, and I was still 165 pounds because I walk around at 165, 170. If I'm over 175, I feel like I'm too heavy, like something's wrong. I'm too far away from my weight. So anyway, said all that to say that yeah, I was absolutely in the wrong weight class, and I thought that. I was doing the right thing early on by not cutting weight and preserving myself, but right. I wasn't because these guys were still treating it like an actual fight, cutting down, getting down to where they, they naturally uh, or where they compete, you know, in any other organization or any other sport. And uh, it was it was successful for them. So once I got back to my natural weight class, it's been nothing but success. Do you think different you do as far as, you know, cutting weight is you got your, I'm assuming at this point, you know exactly what you need to do to get to where you need to go. Anything specific you would like to add? Or? No, no. As far as like my weight cuts, man, it's, uh, like I said, I tend to maintain my weight pretty low. You know, a right. lot of guys will pull a bunch of weight, you know, um, you talk to, you talk to any, talk about any of like the UFC guys or anything like that. You got guys like Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler easily walks around at 185, maybe 190 pounds. And then he diets and pulls for six, eight weeks and he gets down to 155 and then, you know, balloons back up. It's, it's, it's incredible how some of, how well some of these guys can do it. I'm not built like that. I can't do that. I can't pull that weight. I maintain 170 pounds right around there. Maybe, you know, give or take a pound or two. And uh, really for me is it's just amping up my cardio and my conditioning and pulling my carbs. Little by little, the closer I get to the fight, the more cardio and conditioning I do and the less carbs that I had. 
just pulls extra weight. And then as opposed to walking around it 168 pounds, I'm walking around at 160 pounds. And then the, the week before the fights, it's just no carbs. I just don't eat carbs at all. Everything, I eat everything else, you know, right, and, right. you know, but I just, I don't have carbs and it pulls that last little bit of glycogen out of my system, yeah. gets everything nice and tight and strong. And I'm a hit. I usually wake up the day of weigh-ins at like 157 and sit in the bathtub for, you know, 20 minutes, sweat out that last pound and I'm good to go. Um, but yeah, no, the, the 55 is, is where I need to be. And I've, I've been making that cut for 15 years, you know, so, well, I shouldn't, I started my pro careers at 55. So for eight years, you know, I've been making that cut. So I've got it pretty locked in. When you change weights, I mean, well, I guess even Michael was Mitchell. No, Nathan thing. Mitchell. Yeah. Nathan Mitchell, mm-hmm. Nathan Mitchell. I do know Michael Mitchell. He's going to get a kick out of that. <laughs> Y'all look similar to the same size. Josh Wright, I mean, he, he was a smaller guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell you had more confidence out there. You know, I mean? there, there was a difference. You, you, cardio was still there, and you didn't have to worry about trying to get be bullied. And, right. and honestly, uh, Joe, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like he was trying to throw his weight around, but mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately ended up gassing himself out. When, when it comes to, uh, you know, the lower weight classes, how much does your strategy change, or is it just based clearly off who you're fighting? Um, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, man. I think that, well, we'll make two different comparisons here. The first comparison will go with fighting 65 versus fighting 55. I think philosophically my mentality was a little skewed because I was a smaller guy. And like you said, these guys are trying to throw their weight around. They're trying to kind of bully me and push me around a little bit. So I had to fight stylistically differently. I had to back up a little more. I had to use a little bit of range. And once the guys calmed down and tired out, then I could go back to what I want to do. And that's my forward pressure style fighting. So that was, that was the difference in 55 and 65 is now at 55, like you said, I don't have to worry about these guys coming forward and putting their weight on me and being heavy, you know, um, Nathan Mitchell, it's a little smaller, or you know, not not smaller than me in height, but smaller than me in density. Right, right. Uh, Josh Wright, was sh- you know, shorter guy, but very strong. But he's a forty five er, tr- right. you know, tried and true. The the gentleman that I just fought, Bruce Lutch Medial, roughly the 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 same size. I actually thought I was going to be bigger than he was, but he came in right about the same size. But the point being is, my style hasn't really been forced to change so much at 55 because I'm not worried about these guys coming forward. You will come forward on me all day. I'm going to be right here because you don't outweigh me by anything. I'm, I'm not going to be intimidated by your the, the power in your shots like I was at 65. And then the second conversation is, is like you said, stylistically, it's absolutely going to change given my opponent. Right. Um, you know, if, if, I mean, use my last three fights as examples. Uh, Nathan Mitchell was really tall, really skinny, um, and he liked to use his range. So I had to explode in with my shots um, to get him to slow down. Rephrase, I had to explode in with my shots to get to the body to get him to slow down so that I could work the the, the angles that I wanted to work. Josh Wright was small and he was fast. As soon as I popped that first jab out there and he slips it, like I knew I was in for a tough night. So I had to kind of move myself back and let him come forward and get caught in that middle ground. Um, And eventually I was able, like I said, towards the end of the fight, get back to my forward range and my forward movement. Um, And then my last fight was very similar to the Josh Wright's fight. I had to utilize my range for the first round, body work the second round, forward pressure in the third round. So um, stylistically, it will change depending on who I'm fighting. But generally speaking, my goal is always going to be the same. I want to push forward. And if I have to do 
a couple to spend a round or two maneuvering around your tactics to slow you down or get you on your back foot or whatever it may be to be able to drive forward. That's what I'm going to do. When you was fighting uh, Nathan Mitchell, he's he 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 admitted that publicly that you was the better boxer, mm-hmm. but he was the better fighter. Mm-hmm. When he said that, I I didn't. I feel like he already knew he was on lose at that point, because to me. In, in, in boxing, now this is coming from a fed's point of view, so if I'm wrong, please let me know, but the boxer in boxing, the more technical fighter, the better boxer is usually going to have the advantage. Now, I do know there, I mean, when it comes into gutting stuff out, stuff like that, that's a little bit different, but mm-hmm. still, I think the better boxer is, is going to win most of the time. I what, think, what do you think about that statement by the, with the, I think it was the announcer that he said that, and, and, yeah, he, Chris and, he, and he agreed with him. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't really agree with that statement. Well, Chris had said it, and I think the comment that Chris said afterwards was, you know, uh, it's very important that you know to make that distinction that not always the the best boxer, or the best boxer isn't always the best fighter. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think that Nathan thought that. I don't think that Nathan had any lack of faith going into that fight. I think he truly believed that he was the better fighter, that he had the more heart, whatever the case may be. I actually just cornered Nathan in his fight a couple of days ago. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, so we had a a chance to kind of chat shit about our fight a little bit beforehand. And he was very confident going into that fight. But to get back to your point in in your question, uh, I think nine times out of ten, yes, going into a fight – the better boxer is going to, unless you've got serious power combined with serious conditioning, it's going to be very difficult to outmaneuver a better striker. Unless you can just take shots and continue to push forward with with heavy power and heavy pressure, or you've got so much power in your hands that it only takes one shot and you put somebody like Joel Elmore. That's probably the best way to explain that scenario. I was absolutely the better boxer. But Joe had more power. So all it took was one shot. He clocked me one time, dropped me, gotta get now we reset, we get back up. I was clearly the better boxer, clearly landing more shots, but he had good endurance, he had good conditioning, and he had a lot of power. And he was able to withstand the five rounds and make it to the end. So that would I would say that would be like the one out of ten case scenario to bring this thing full circle. I think the person with the better boxing is typically gonna win the fight. So what do you think about I mean obviously right now? If you, I don't know who you would box next or fight next when it comes to bare, uh, knuckle fighting, but the, the the champion has a fight in June. Mm-hmm. We willing to wait to get that opportunity to, to fight the winner <laughs> of that match? Uh, I can't remember. Luis Palomino yeah, versus Alvin Brito. Yes, Brito. Yeah. Um, it, Brito, uh, it was no, like that's what I was asking. I mean, I, I think. I mean. Are you prepared to wait on that? On yeah. That fight? I mean, yes. I, I, I mean, I, I would hope so. I yes. Mean, I guess that's what I'm hoping you do. Is what yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we are in agreement there. Um, I uh, I was offered a fight in July, and my response was, "Is it the champion?" And they said, "No." I said, "Is it the number one contender?" They said, "No." I said, "I'll wait until one of them are available." And they said, "Well, that might not be until September or October." I said, that's fine. I'll wait. As far as 100, the 155-pound division goes, four bare knuckle. I'm the only person outside of the champion who's 3-0. and I'm the only person, champion included, with three finishes. And I'm the only person who's done all of that in less than three rounds. So 
if you want again outside of the champion uh who's got three three he's got six six wins i think i want to say six and oh he's been murdering people but uh but he's only got two finishes everybody else he's decisioned you know i i feel as far as the 155 pound division goes there's nobody who's in a better position than I am. So he can go up to 165 pounds and he can fight Elvin for his belt and try to win it and try to, you know, be the first person in history to have, you know, two, a two division champ for bare knuckle. Um, and, and I'm not going to get in his way of that, but I will be here when he gets done and he's ready to come back to 155 pounds, whether that means he wins the 65 title and he decides to stay there or he doesn't win the 65 title and comes back and decides to defend the 55 title. Whatever you want to do, man, I don't care. But I'll be here ready to, f- to fight for that belt when it's time. So that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I just, I just hope it's not that long of a wait. So I would like to <laughs> get in there and get that done. As yeah, far as uh, did you start off boxing? No. You started no. off. Uh, I've only seen a few of your MMA fights. Mm-hmm. Is, that, that's what you originated with, right? No, actually, believe it or not, um, I started to, so like a little bit of background on on me and my whole situation. I started fighting as an amateur when I like just after I turned eighteen. I turned eighteen in January of '07, and I had my first fight in May. I didn't really have any traditional training of any kind. I was just naturally kind of a scrappy kid and, and liked to fight. The more that I fought, the more the harder the fights started to get. So then I started training at like a traditional martial arts gym, like a karate gym, where there just happened to be a guy in the back who was an MMA fighter. And he kind of pulled me on and showed me a few things. And that was probably the first 10 fights of my amateur career. And then I moved down here to Oklahoma. I met Coach P. Coach P showed me the, the the boxing game. Essentially, he showed oh, me wow. how to box. He sh- he 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 made my striking what it is today. I've worked with Coach P. Coach P was my first striking coach, and I've worked with a couple different striking coaches over the years. And now I'm back working with Coach P. Like my whole game is 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 what he showed me essentially. Um, but I started working with him 12 years ago. Uh, he showed me the boxing game, but I was still fighting MMA. Uh, I just wasn't training it that I wasn't training the ground game very much. Then I moved back to Illinois and that was when I started training jujitsu. So I was probably three years into my amateur career before I had even touched the mats, but I had never really, I never boxed as an amateur, um, or as a professional. I've never done a professional boxing match. I've never done it or I've never had one. Um, as an amateur, I had two, but they were 15 fights into my amateur MMA career. So to get back to, to your question, no, boxing was never what I started with as far as fighting goes. It was just what I fell in love with as far as right. training went. So that was just what carried over even in my MMA fights. Like I learned jiu-jitsu because the fights go to the ground. I learned wrestling because the fights went to the ground or be, you know, because there was an in-between area of either getting up or getting down or whatever the case may be. But what I want to do is punch you in the face. Yeah. So that was, that was what I did <laughs> so in the fights. Scrappy dude, yeah, uh, man. Like, that was just what I wanted to do. The, the last guy, the the last person that's on the podcast is George Tadenever. And uh, he's a, uh, he used to be a professional boxer. He, he started, I think he said when he was 23, he just started boxing. If you got it in you to scrap, you got it in you. I think some people just have it, man. Absolutely, um, especially being being a gym owner and uh, and and a, a trainer myself. And I don't want any of my clientele to take this personally in any way, shape, or form. But uh, some people have it, some people don't. Yeah. You know, some people are just bred for it. They're just built for it stylistically. It's just in them. 
and other people just aren't. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just it's just not for you. No, we, we, we talked about that a little bit as well is is finding that person, that dog, you know, like if somebody you want to train like a protege moving forward, mm-hmm. uh, you already got a gym. Uh, what, what, give a shout out to your gym. It's called Alpha MMA, RCBJJ here in Lawton. And uh, it's a Ricardo Cavalcante affiliate. Um, it's at uh, 502 Southwest F Avenue here in Lawton, Oklahoma. It's a beautiful facility, man. I want to say it's uh, 6,000 square feet. we got right. 3,300 square feet of uh, mat space, uh, full-size cage, 20-foot cage, heavy bags, the whole nine yards, anything and everything that you need. You're 33 years old. Mm-hmm. You got time left. Mm-hmm. All right. That time, we got to figure out. I'm 37. I'm thinking the same thing. I got I got a lot of time left. My, my path is different than yours at this point, right? I'm retired military. You got a potential big bout coming up. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, mm-hmm. cross your fingers, make it work. Right. No, no, uh, <laughs> if not, I, I don't really understand the contract side of uh, you know, uh, any of the that that fighting organization. Really, any of them, honestly. But uh, it, if there was an opportunity, do you go back to doing just straight MMA for like a big organization? Would you take it, depending on what it was, or how, how would that affect your contract? Well, that I mean, that's kind of that's kind of layered. So we'll, I'll try to touch on each layer. Uh, first layer is, do I have any interest in going back to MMA? And yes, of course. Uh, I, I mean, I just did a little jujitsu super fight type thing, quote unquote, uh, over the weekend. And uh, you know, it, it, it went well. I, w- I was able to get the victory against a guy who is a pretty stellar MMA fighter. Uh, so that worked out. Um, but uh, yes, I still love, you know, I would still, I still love the idea of getting back into the cage. The situation that I'm at right now, as far as bare knuckle and the contractual obligations are concerned, uh, technically I could go back to MMA and fight whenever I wanted to. It just has to be outside of a certain time frame of a scheduled bout that I have. Mm. So if they tell me, hey, you're going to fight random date, October 17th, say whatever that is, they give you 60 days. I could technically compete 60 days or rephrase, I couldn't compete for 60 days prior to that. So October, September, August. So August 17th would be like the cutoff date. Anything before August 17th, I could go out and fight and do that. Um, but you run a couple of risks. One, you run the risk of, of losing and causing damage to yourself, injury, uh, things like that. Um, that you know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's risks with, that come along with the reward. So- yeah, your stock goes down, you know, yeah. it, all kinds of stuff. I would I wouldn't mind going back to MMA, but it would have to be after I'm done with my little bare knuckle adventure and like I said, trying to trying to get that belt. If I can go out there and I can get that belt and uh the number one contender fight and then get that belt, that's what I want to do. That's the, right. the avenue that I want to go. And then once maybe I've defended it a few times, um I can hang that back up and say, okay, you know, now I'm a, I'm a world champion, bare knuckle fighter. Hopefully by that point, I'll have my black belt in jujitsu. Now I can go to any organization in the world and say, I'll come fight for you guys. And this is what I want financially to do. Right. That would be the right time to do that as far as my career is concerned. Because right now, the position that I'm in, I can't go to any organization and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm on a three fight win streak and bare knuckle. This is what I want to be paid to fight for you guys. They won't do that. 
that I haven't fought MMA in five years. They're going to be like, no, you're, I don't care if you're on a three fight win streak over here. According to this set of rules and regulations, you haven't fought in five years. So you need to do something to bring value to your name before we're going to throw money at you. Whereas bare knuckle, I've been doing something for them for the past four and a half years. I've been putting my ass off, putting on seller shows for these guys for a long time. So they're incentivized to pay me what I want to be paid. So that's really what it comes down to is right now I'm contractually locked in, but also mentally focused and locked in on the bare knuckle game. Once that kind of dies down and dissipates, um, I'll probably get back to MMA eventually, but uh, it's just not in the cards for me right now. Uh, the one of the MMA fights I seen, he was fighting. I believe his name was Tweety Austin. Austin, Austin Tweety mm-hmm. on on his shorts. He was wearing Venom on the back of his shorts. Did mm-hmm. you see that? Mm-hmm. And who's Venom sponsoring right now? I don't have a clue who Venom sponsors. Oh, oh yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah so there you yeah. go. Yeah, too easy. Boom, making moves. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there eventually. We'll get there eventually. That was a wild fight too. That that, yeah, fight. we got that was another one. We got fight of the year on that one. Um, that was for uh, an organization called HFC, and uh, the owner of the owners of that organization, Paul and Daniel Vale. Cool, fun little story. Uh, Danielle usually handles the majority of the what's the word media stuff she's usually the face of the organization she's out doing all the talking and promoting and things like that and paul kind of handles the stuff behind the scenes doesn't ever get in the cage doesn't it you don't hardly ever see him out front he's usually sitting in his cage you know his cage side seat right. paying attention to stuff after that fight uh and since that fight a refer yeah <laughs> paul uh after that fight came into the fight and did this whole speech uh, about yeah. how how it was a stellar fight and it was this that and the other and he gave us I want to say it was the Dan Gruitt Never Give Up Award. Uh, yeah. Dan Gruitt was a a, a can like a three or four time cancer survivor from the area at that time and he just he refused to give up and beat it three or four times um, before passing of natural causes. So we were given like this 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 award and like the whole night and since that like I said that was the first time he had ever been in the cage. For a fight night and since that fight it hasn't happened that's how spectacular of an event that was um and i was able to do that a lot in my mma career i want to say i had well, i was 11 and 4 in my mma career and i think i had thir- 12 12 performance bonuses out of 15 fights you know um so I mean that's 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 not a bad little little re- thing to have on your resume. It worked out, but yeah, I mean a lot of a lot of my fights were just were just wild. You know, I just that's the way a, I fight. You got a background in wrestling? I wrestled or? in middle school and wrestled in high school, right. so I know how to wrestle. Right. Um, but I'm not proficient at it. I uh, in seventh grade, my first year, I lost every single match except for my very last one. And then eighth grade, I I won all of my matches except for my very last one. Ninth grade, my freshman year, I got smoked, didn't win a single match. Sophomore year, I was like 50-50. And then I got expelled junior year, so I didn't wrestle after that. So like I said, I know how to wrestle, but I wasn't great, wasn't proficient at it. It's just it's just there. I was I was wondering about the ears if that comes from jujitsu or wrestling. That's jujitsu, man. That's just that. What this is is somebody smashing your head on the ground, your head just being smashed on the ground, and you wiggling trying to move. The uh, blood vessels will 
what happens is the skin separates from the cartilage and the blood vessels fire in there to fill up that space to protect it. Right. And then it gets it gets swollen. You got to take syringe, drain it, pull all that shit out. But if you don't do it enough or properly or frequently, um, you get this. And it's just like having rocks on your ears. And you it go. doesn't hurt. It doesn't, it doesn't feel any kind of way. It just looks like shit. Yeah, I work with the... The, the wrestling program here so we get kids that get that stuff and uh you know it's it's just one of them deals some kids look at it as a buck and rut you know yeah i got yeah. these ears now absolutely yeah. no, i mean and, and honestly i mean it's any person that i see if their ears are a little rough i don't think okay yeah yeah you know it's 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 a it's a mark of the trade you know i remember reading a book many moons ago it was by a gentleman named sam sheridan and i want to say it was called the heart of a fighter and he talks about the uh, the old Valley Tudo days, thirty years ago in Brazil, and uh, you know bare knuckle shorts, full blown yeah. fist fighting with jujitsu, um, and how all of the kids in the area were so obsessed with the fighters that they would take rocks and they would your five, six, seven year old kids bashing their ears up to get them to puff up and scar up because it's a badge of honor. And when your ears look like that, people know something, you know, like regardless of what, you know, you know, something you've done something (laughs) to make your ears look like that, whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or whatever. Um, But yeah, it's absolutely a badge of honor. I think it's, I think it's comical that uh, kids are like aiming for it. Like it's a goal. You don't get these from winning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like you get ears like this from getting your ass beat like i said from having your face just smashed on the mat and you trying to escape and get out you don't your ears don't look like that when you're on top all the time yeah a lot of times shit like that happens during practice anyway you know mm-hmm. matches are, are, are a little bit different yeah. are you most, shooting in on somebody yeah, and your ear blasts yeah. on their hip yeah that'll yeah. happen too for sure i, I, I got lucky I, I never got i mean I, I felt like i was about to get it a couple times but and that's exactly what it was i was shooting you know somebody made a bad shot caught mm-hmm. needed ear and I was more pissed about an ear being messed up than yeah. I was uh, losing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and that's usually how I play because that ear damage, man. It, it, there's, there's, there isn't a pain like ear pain. Like you take a good shot to the ear. I think uh, Brad Pitt in Fight Club probably like displayed it best when he's just like, oh man!" Like that is just a a pain that. It's just there's no other pain. It's like stubbing your toe. Like you, you no matter how tough you are. You're gonna. That's gonna hurt. It kind of brings me into a, another question. I want to talk about is practice partners. Like I know me growing up, basically just what I said was during practice I was more pissed that my ear was messed up and I just lost instead of realizing I had a good practice partner. Your practice partners. How does that go? Uh, different fighters. That there are different opponents. I, again, uh, there are going to be a couple different layers to this. I have regular training partners that I train with on a daily basis, on a consistent basis. And those, like you said, are like the quality training partners, like the good training partners, the ones that I know aren't going to hurt me, the ones that I know aren't going to try to attack me, aren't going to be the cool guy who beat up Tom today or whatever, you know, like they're coming in to help me get better. Um, Those are the guys that I train with every day and consistently. But when there's a fight coming up, you need to be sparring with people who stylistically fight like the guy you're fighting, right. who are built similarly to the guy you're fighting. You know, all of those things come into come into play when you're actually in the fight itself. Having good training partners is there. There's multiple pages or multiple levels to that. You've got to have people that are stellar that you can train with consistently that will push you, but not so hard or not to the point where you're getting hurt. 
in training, sparring, conditioning, strength training, anything and everything. You want to be pushed to, to the brink, but not necessarily past it. And you need good people around you to do that. And then when you when it comes to fight specific stuff, you need to have people who are built like the guy you're fighting, train like the guy you're fighting, move like the guy you're fighting, things like that. The 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 better your circle and the better your team and the better your training you you get, the the better your performance is going to be. Uh, there's a, a song that I like. I can't remember the name of the song, but uh, the artist his name is Vinny Paz, and uh, he's basically says a, a tried and true tale that's pretty old. It says the more you sweat in peacetime, the less you bleed more. And that's that's really what it comes down to is like the 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 more hard work you put in effective and controlled and well planned with good partners, the better you're going to go out and perform when it's time to go out and do the things that you need to do. So having a good circle around you and having good training partners is crucial to your 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 uh, your your what's the word I'm here your rise through the uh, through the sport I'm sure you've heard the, the the phrase before like birds have a feather flock together right. you know if, if, if you hang around with six drug dealers you're going to be the seventh drug dealer if you hang around with six entrepreneurs you're going to be the seventh entrepreneur it's the yeah. same idea like you need people around you who are like-minded individuals who want to see the best for you otherwise sometimes you just be around smart savages man that's it yeah yeah my, my buddy actually owns a uh, a company called Civil Savage Civil Savage, yeah, <laughs> and, and that's that's how we try to keep it, and we try to keep that sort of mentality. It's like, yeah, like we're we we are we are we are sophisticated in our destruction of others. You know, it's like we'll, we'll all be civil with you, but at the same time, I can I, I I can be savage, and that's what you prepare for. You know, the more you sweat in peacetime, the less you're going to bleed more. You can be you can be civil, or you can be savage. It works out. I I coach a lot with the youth wrestling program, okay. but. I talked to them about, you know, same thing you're talking about is, uh, you know, just because you can bash a workout partner that you're with, like he can't beat you, basically. Mm -hmm. You still got to figure out how you can use that to your advantage, right? Mm -hmm. There has to be something he's good at or there has to be a position you're bad at. Put yourself in that position and get out of it based Mm -hmm. off, you know, your opponent. One of the things that I always uh, was horrible about, I'd say until about my senior year, I looked at wrestling – for example, it's solely just a, an individual sport, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you step on the mat, it's you and somebody else, right? But what I never took into consideration is my practice partners because iron sharpens iron. I got to figure out a way to make them better. You now owning a gym, you got your own practice partners that you rely on. Is that something you look at when you're surrounding your team, figuring out how to make these guys better too? That is a consistent goal when you're a coach. That's That's the only thing that you think of as a coach is how do I get these guys better? How do I improve this guy's jujitsu? How do I improve this girl's striking? How do I improve this guy's wrestling? You know, that, 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 that's your whole goal is to develop people and grow people and evolve them as fighters, as jujitsu competitors, as whatever it is that their, their dream or their, their goal is headed towards. Um, it just so happens that me being an active competitor helps drive that iron sharpening iron because I'm not going to let you give me bad training and I'm going to enforce that by making sure you knowing you know what you're doing and that makes you better which makes you drive you makes me work harder which then allows me to give you new tools to use which then makes you better which yeah. then makes me work harder and it's just it, it it really works out for me personally being in my position that I can I can feed these guys information. I can feed all of them information, give them 
tools that they can use and utilize to then attack me with that then now I have to figure out a new way or a better way or a more adventurous way to get out of it or defend it or, or whatever the case may be. It's convenient, you know, for me uh, to be able to to get these guys better uh, so that, you know, the iron can continue to sharpen other iron. But as a coach, that's your whole goal. That's your whole job. It's just to it's like, look like you're coming to me because there is a flaw in some way, shape or form in your game. And I'm going to fix it. You know, be no different than one of your your your, your wrestlers, you know, being like, look, I can't hit this single leg. All right. Well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do a thousand different drills that revolve around single leg takedown so that you can finally hit that single leg and it gets them better. And if you were an active wrestler at, at that time and now this guy, you know, not only could he threaten you with a double, but now he can threaten you with a single. Now you got two things to worry about. It makes you twice as good as a wrestler. You know, that's that's your whole job as a as a coach is to get the, the the people underneath you better. And being an active competitor, the better they get, the better I get. Right, it just helps. What's one of your biggest pet peeves when it comes to coaching? Consistency. I don't care if it takes you six months to learn the most basic of techniques. Doesn't bother me one bit. If you're here every day and you're on the mats and you're putting in work, that's all I care about. I don't care if you're great. I don't care if you're awful. What I want to see is you work hard to be better. That's it. That's my biggest pet peeve is people who are, and you see it a lot of people who are really talented, you know, people who are super talented. So they show up once a month, yeah. you know, they come in once a month, they smash everybody, they leave. They come back in a month later, they smash everybody, they leave. And it's like, bro, this is what we we're talking about before about that ironing, sharpening, you know, iron sharpening, sharpening iron. You said, like, you would stick around for a couple of weeks, pass around some of your knowledge. Yep. These guys would get better would improve their game, would force you to adapt your game, would help you get better, you know, but no, you come in, you you smash everybody and you leave. Or you could take the flip side of that coin. Somebody comes in and they're awful and they're there for two days and then they leave. It's like, you didn't even give it a shot. Like you didn't even try, you know, like, again, I don't care if it takes you six months to learn a technique. If you're there consistently, you're you're trying to learn, get better and, and, and do well, I, I couldn't be happier, um, but it's it's the people who are inconsistent that drive me nuts. That's that's my biggest pet peeve, and I think that's probably just because you're looking at it ret- retrospectively. It's like you know, I'm here every day, motherfucker. Yeah. Like you should be here every day, you know. But uh, again, one that's probably me as a as a as an owner, um, but it's also probably me just as like a, a to my own horn here to to a, a high level professional competitor. You know, I know the work that that goes into being great because I'm not great and I work my ass off. Like if you look at my record, my whole combat sports record, I'm 17 and 7, 72%, like probably even worse than that, probably closer to like 68. My math's not even good. I'm a terrible student. It's the moral <laughs> of the story. Like I'm a D student. Like if you look at my whole, like, and I work my ass off. So it's like, you want to be great. You want to be talented. You don't even want to be great. You want to be mediocre like me? You got to work your ass off. And it drives me nuts when I see people come in and, you know, work for a week and they're like, well, I'm not the best in the world. I quit. It's like, well, motherfucker, you've been here for a week, you know? So that's my biggest pet peeve. Now that I've beat that horse into the ground, it's good and dead. <laughs> what is that old Satan, uh, tough heaterman, right? He said something about, hip- I hope I'm quoting the same, the right person here, but he slammed his, his finger in his door and he didn't cry. And uh, his dad said, well, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that came out of his mouth. Now, when you first hear that, when I first heard it at that age, I just kind of laughed it off. But really, that 
that tough part also it, it, it consists with consistency itself mm-hmm. so if you're tough no matter what happened that day in the gym you're gonna be back the next day to get better so I, I think like there are a lot of guys and I'm sure you hear this from like uh, so like Cameron Haynes Cam Haynes he just put out a new book it's called Endure and the whole book is just it's about just that it's like look like life is tough generally speaking it's hard so you can cower underneath how tough it is or you can get up and you can endure and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and half the time you're not going to win you're not going to do as well as you wanted to but you and you endure that and you're going to you're going to be a better person for it it's the same with anything else so you or David Goggins, you know, he says, you know, stay hard, you know, go out and do something that you hate to do. Yes. Mike yeah. Tyson, do what you hate to do, but do it like you love it. it. It's all the same thing. It's like, bro, like be consistent, discipline. Without discipline, you're nothing. And if you want to be great or if you just want to be mediocre, just show up. If you show up, half the work is done. That's that's consistency, man. That, that's really it. And that, that that's a muscle just like anything else, man. Yeah. Like, honestly, like willpower it's a muscle that needs to be worked just like anything else. So I will give people that that leeway or that out of you know maybe they just they're, they're not the most highly willed. But no, I mean, I, no, there's anyway. definitely something to that with you know, even when it comes just to life choices. I like no me me personally when I was in the military, you you have a schedule there. You know what you got to do. There's a routine that you're stuck to. You wake up in the morning, you do PT. Mm-hmm. You, there's no option. If you don't, right. if you don't, you get in trouble. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. There's no option. And then when you get out, it's like, oh, shit, do I really have an option right now? Like, man, you know what? I start next week. And next thing you know, that next week is uh, a long, ways, yeah, long ways away, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg used to talk to me a lot about that shit when I was in school. Like, man, you go with me. I was like, nah, man, I don't wait till after finals. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's uh, I'm all about quotes and sayings, so I'm sure you'll hear me say this a lot. Um, but, yeah, there's an old saying, you know, that if, if you wait for the right time, you'll, you'll never do it. Yeah, because there's no such thing as the right time. Like, it just doesn't exist. You know, you either got to make the commitment, like, okay, go, I'm going to go do it. Or you can push it off and say, no, nah, I'll wait till after finals. And then after finals rolls around, I'm like, ah, I'll wait till my foot feels better. And then after your foot feels better, like, ah, you know, my back's kind of tweaked or I got a busy week or whatever. But you'll consistently push it off. That comes back to that whole willpower thing, you know. It's like, yeah. no, nah, I'm just, I'm, just, I'll just go. You do that enough times, and it becomes a habit, and then you're, you're just, you're there. You're consistent. You're enduring, and you're getting better for it. No, I'm glad you showed up today, man. I feel like this is exactly what I need to hear. Oh, I'm glad. Seriously, man, I, I've been telling Heather or my wife that you know I'm gonna get back into working out. I mean, actually, Dax, as soon as you're gone, we're gonna do some workouts in here. Probably pull the mats out, Beautiful. do something. If you're free during the day, man, we got day classes too, and they're smaller, so you don't have to worry about you know everybody. Every everybody's always concerned about coming to a gym with a bunch of people and doing something silly and embarrassing themselves. Day classes, there's like at max five people a little smaller a little easier free time you come in get a little workout in do your thing and go from there i said all you gotta do is show up man i'm 37 years old man i've embarrassed myself enough i'm not worried about it beautiful <laughs> a little perfect it's perfect then you find a day in your schedule and come in man we'll make it happen hey speaking of we had a one of our heavyweights this last year and he's a stud man he's 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 kind of with them guys that i was talking about earlier but there's nobody can touch him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he was just that good of a wrestler. I mean, he still is a good wrestler, but there was like 25 seconds left. My boy, uh, my boy, Coach Rao, Cody Rao, shout out. This dude, he's really, really squared away, dude. If you ever get back in the MMA thing, uh, he's a really good wrestler. Uh-huh. But anyways, he he was like, he gave me the challenge. Oh, 20 seconds, I'll go out there, B. I, said, I ain't no punk. Mm-hmm. 
it took him about 25 seconds to get up off bottom and put me on my back and stretch my leg up over my head and I pulled a hammy. It was bad, black and blue. And I think I was in I, I was in pain and I didn't know why. I didn't have it happen to me. I've never had it happen before. Oh wow! I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't see nothing. To me, right. I just looked really soft at that point in time. It wasn't about until about a week later I realized that there was a big bruise on the back of my leg. Mm-hmm. And no shit, that's what happened. <laughs> Gotta get your ass in some shape. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, I said, man, whenever you're ready, come in. We'll make it happen. So back uh back to the fighting, you know the big thing to deal with. They not not really boxing, obviously, but just like uh you know the other combat sports, just fighter pay and stuff. When it comes to uh, your organization, uh, you only hear good things, and that's usually from the people that's left other organizations coming over there. Mm-hmm. Is there any issues with fighter pay where you're at, or? I think I am in the position that everybody is in, and they would love to be paid more. Honestly yeah. and truly, I don't know anybody who's like, no, I'll take less money. Yeah. Um, but I can honestly say that Bare Knuckle has paid me better than any other organization I've ever fought for. Um, they pay me enough that I can fight three times a year and work my day job part time and live my life as a fighter happy and you know have no issues. I can also say that these names that they're bringing over are getting paid a tremendous amount more than the guys on my level are, but there's reasons behind that, you know, uh, like Chad Mendez and Ben Rothwell and um, Tiago Alves, Hector Lombard, Luis Palomino, all these guys, they are big names in other organizations. They've established careers in other organizations, sponsors and endorsements and things like that. And when you have that name, when you pull one of those names over to your organization, you also pull those sponsors and you pull those endorsements and and, and all of that money comes with. So they're able to pay these guys more money because they've brought more to the table, so to speak. Um, I'm hoping that eventually I will be at that point, you know, get me this number one contender fight or get me this title fight and put myself in a position where I can say I'm champion of the world. I can start pulling in some of those endorsements, start pulling in some of those sponsorships. And then, like I said, I can go to any other organization and say, look, this is, I'm a world champion here. I also have this and I bring this to the table. And then I can start looking at, at getting those bigger paychecks. But where it stands right now, um, I'm still in the, the middle of the tier. And uh, outside of YouTube views, I haven't really done enough for the company for them to start paying me in the, the you know the six figures yet. <laughs> you title shot, you damn sure. I, I hope that, so. Buddy. Man, I hope so. Speaking of people that went over there, uh, Charles Bennett. Mm-hmm. When did he change his nickname from Crazy Horse to Felon? After... The other crazy horse, Texas crazy horse, uh, Heath Herring. Um, After he got... Now, I'm going to feel awful if I am incorrect about this. So please, anybody listening to this, do research before you just go spouting this information because I could be wrong. But I believe that Heath Herring got hit with like some sex charges so of some kind or something so there was just crazy horse crazy horse crazy horse in the news and in the media and if i recall correctly charles bennett was like i ain't having none of that so he changed his name 
Heath Herring um, was a heavyweight, right? Yes, he was. He was the guy that fought Brock Lesnar he when got, he first came in. Yeah, and yeah. Brock Lesnar knocked him in. Smashed his face like yeah. in the first couple of seconds and sent him tumbling back. Yeah. But I want to say something happened because he was the, the Texas crazy horse. But anyway, I want to say something happened with the nicknames and a charge of some kind. And that was why Felony said, I'm not doing that anymore. I think it also has to do with the, the video of um, Silva. Oh, uh, yeah. choking him out. Yeah. That's all crazy horse stuff, you know? So yeah. he doesn't want to be associated with that anymore. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's some old school stuff, right? It's very, yeah, that was pride. Fuck, that was pride. I don't even know the number, but it was many moons ago. Um, it was before the UFC was even a known organization, you know? So, so if I had to bet, I would say the first UFC that you've seen, it was probably on VHS. Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely! Blockbuster, really uh, yeah, good. absolutely. I remember vividly to yeah. this day going and and going to Family Video and looking down at the bottom shelf and seeing the blue case with the the hand drawn guy flexing with with eighty million muscles, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And I looked down and I flipped in the back, and you just see guys in like karate outfits. So I was like, oh, it's a martial arts movie, rented it, went home, and my stepdad at the time made me turn it off because he said it was human cockfighting and these guys were just beating the fuck out of each other. And that was that. Was that, that. So That is crazy. Like, I, I remember going to get the movies, and I remember my grandma had to get them for me. Because the movies is back here at 18 or older, back here by Faces of Death. Yeah, shit, right? yeah, yeah. It's all, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, my grandma used to get them, we'd watch them. I, I mean, I, I fell in love with the sport at that moment. Yeah. Back in them, it was a lot different in them mm-hmm. days, but... Yeah, very different, absolutely. But yeah, like I said, it was it was VHS. I want to say I want to say it was UFC four. It was the, whichever one had Gary Goodridge when he got that guy in the crucifix and started bombing elbows oh. and just put him to sleep. Um, it, that that was the first one that I saw. There was another fight on that card. I can't remember the guy's name, but tall, skinny, black dude took this guy down and mount in same scenario. Dropped forearms in his face. For about a minute until the ref stopped. I mean, got us to sleep, but it was nasty. Gary Goodridge was also a uh, dang. Was what was his name? Was it Big Daddy Gary? I think so. Yeah, yeah. so he was also like a professional arm wrestler. Did you know that? I did not know that. I used no. to follow arm wrestling a lot, and, and okay. uh, like back in the day, he was a hell of an arm wrestler. And he's also that dude that uh, uh, you seen the Fox Catcher. Were the about Dave Schultz the I, I I I've heard the story, but I, are you talking about the the actual movie with yeah that, Channing yeah, Tatum? Channing Tatum I haven't seen that. I've seen the documentary, yeah, not yeah. the movie. So it's, they did the mess. That's it's the one Rogan always talks about, like how they mess the movies up mm-hmm. if you don't know it. But that the guy that Schultz really fought in MMA was Gary Goose. Really? Yeah, that's who it was. Oh shit! He's a stellar human being. Besides, just a, a fantastic wrestler. No, he, no, he's a badass. Yeah. He was probably, I mean, he's one of the best. Absolutely. Your jab. Okay. I really want to talk to you about your jab. Okay. Is that something you developed or was, or was that natural? Absolutely. It was something that I had to develop. Uh, if you look at my right hand, it's just mangled and like my, I, like this one I can close. This one, I I can't get my finger down. So I have to like hold it in a weird position when I punch um my right hand is just mangled my my knuckles are all shot to shit anyway um because of my mma career i broke this hand i would think two or three times um so i can't really throw and it doesn't go straight anymore i know there's nobody camera here but 
my you can see how there there's like my right arm looks like a bow and my left arm actually goes straight um mm. from just silliness anyway moral of the story is my right arm doesn't work that well i can't fire it very well i can't fire it straight it's not that accurate um, and because I tore that tendon in my elbow, my bicep isn't very strong, so my hooks are garbage. So I had to develop a left hand. Um, if you go back to like my MMA fighting um, in that career, I, I crushed everybody with my right hand. If I touched you with my right hand, I was rocking you. That was just how, how it was. That was how it was gonna play out. Um, finished a couple people with my right hand, things like that. Um, but after, I want to say it was the Tyler Combs fight. I fractured something in it and then I didn't let it heal up. And that fight was in February. And I think I took another fight in like April or May. And again, again, I don't remember who it was, but I fought somebody else in April or May and my hand wraps were set funny and my knuckle was pushed over mm. and uh, I hit a guy and broke it again. Um, and it just, so it just never healed. Uh, so yeah, to get back to your question, um, my left hand, was something that I had to develop, um, especially in, in bare knuckle. You don't want to necessarily be powerful. You want to be fast. You want to be sharp and you want to be accurate. I don't have to hit you hard. I just have to hit you right. I don't have any padding on. So, you know, a couple quick little thumps with the jab, get a couple, you know, a little, a mouse to pop here or a mouse to pop there. And you're, you're, you're going to bleed. You're going to leak. And hopefully they're going to wind up having to stop the fight because of it. Um, but my jab is something that me and coach P have worked on quite a bit. And it's still something that still needs work to be honest with you. I still, uh, kind of flat when I throw it, I don't really drive forward as much as I would like. Um, it doesn't really have the pop on it that I would like to have on it. So it's something that's taken the last couple of years to really develop and work over. Um, since I can't really throw my right hand. Is there anything like, like surgically they can do to, to I'm sure they, that? I'm sure they could, man. Honestly, I just, I, I've never had insurance like ever in my life outside of, you know, when you're young and you, you're on your right. parents insurance and I, these all happened in fights. So technically could have gotten insured, like gone through their insurance to get it done and whatnot. But I was always the type of guy to be young and reckless and go out and party after fights and go get messed up and, you know, screw the hospital. Screw. The, I've literally never been to the hospital after a fight ever, ever once you watch any of my broken ribs, broken hands, broken face, broken nose, never been to the hospital after a fight one time. Um, it's just never something that I had done. Now, obviously as I've gotten older, I don't go out and party or do any of those things. It's much more about going back to the hotel room and recovering after the fight, <laughs> getting ice on me and things like that. But even now I don't, Unless something is wrong, like some like, if I had that happen to my hand in a bare knuckle fight, I would go to the hospital because I need my hands and I need it to be healed as quickly as possible. Especially at this point in my career, thirty three years old, I don't have that much long, you know, that much time left. So, for me to tap potentially take a year off to let my right. hand heal up is crazy. I need to get in there and get it fixed and get and go from there. Um, but if I wanted to have it fixed now, I'm sure they could do something to it. I'm sure they could get in there and shave all this stuff down and get, you know, some of that uh, calcium buildup and scar tissue and stuff out of there. But just depend on the um, recovery time. But that's really it. It comes yeah. down to the recovery time. I would rather, honestly, I would rather break it in a fight. Like I would rather 
have a fire head because I can use it now. Like I can throw it and I can throw it hard. It's just not accurate because it doesn't go where I want it to go. Like if I want to hit you, my hands, see how my knuckles over here, yeah. you know, my, my brain is saying punch you in the face, but I'm hitting you with this side of my hand because my arm just goes right. that way. So, so it's just not very accurate. I can throw it and I can, I can land it. Um, and it doesn't bother me to do it. Uh, it's just not very accurate. So what I would like, what I would prefer is to wing it at somebody in a fight, preferably like the last round or, you know, <laughs> knock them out with it, you know, and then shatter it and then go have surgery, have it fixed, have it all taken care of. Just got paid, you know, because I just had a fight so I can take six months to let it heal up and get better and, you know, get back in, into the game later on. That would be perfect case scenario is break it in a fight and go from there. Um, but as it stands, I'll just keep dealing with it until you know I, I can't deal with it anymore have you seen uh i can't think of the name of it, but brad pitt when he's the bare knuckle fighter snatch snatch mm -hmm. dude you should be in that movie if, if they, they remake it, if dog, they remake you it i'll do it dude, you gotta be in that movie dude. yeah i'll do it um that was a badass it. movie, it's, a, right? it's one of my favorites i uh i so i i'm a i'm a big movie buff in the sense of like i watch a lot of movies uh, but I don't own a lot of movies. I only own movies that I'm like absolutely obsessed with or, or I'm in love with. Like everybody's favorite, Boondock Saints. Um, I got it. Some people, less favorite or less well-known, The Fifth Element, fantastic movie. Oh, The Fifth Element, dude. Bro. Dude, don't ask favorite. my wife, dude, for like, dude, it's an old movie, but I'm talking when we was in Fort Campbell, uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Dude, I used to play that movie every fucking day. I love, I love that, that movie. Multi-pass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Lilu Dallas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's one of my favorites. So, like, I own that movie. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies, I own that one. Yeah. Fight Club, I own that one. But Snatch is, like, one of six or seven movies that I act well, we'll say closer to ten, that I actually own and possess that that, that I won't get rid of. Dude, Boondock Saints is a weird one because it's such a badass movie, but for whatever reason, it missed my radar. Mm -hmm. And actually, I got that movie when I married my wife because it was part of her collection. She I got gotcha. you. But that, I, I love that movie. Yeah, that's one of those those weird cult films that fell under the radar and got big 10 years later. You know, um, people people didn't really know about it when it was a uh, when it had first come out. And then, like you said, it just it just it, it popped up for a lot of people. A handful of years later, I, th I want to say it was the same with um, Scott Clive Owen in it. He's like an assassin. He eats carrots. See now, I can't even think of the name. Oh, of the it's called the assassin. No, it's not called the assassin. There's no way it's called the assassin. It could be hell. I don't know. But it's a got picture a, of Clive Owens. What's that? I have to see a picture of that guy. Cause I'm horrible. Clive Owen. He's uh. You said Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Yeah, he's um. I'm trying to think of what movies he's in. Yeah, it, it's not important. But anyway, moral of the story was when the movie first came out, it did terrible in the box office. If you go to like the 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 ratings or reviews, it lost like a tremendous amount of money. And then ten years later, somebody saw it and was like, "Have you guys seen this movie?" And made a meme about it. And now it's another one of those big raving movies. Now was that was that the one where like he had to take care of a little girl? Yeah. So there's like a baby, and he. Like saves it from a rock club, and uh, he he's, yeah, he's an assassin, and he like shoots. Like I said, he did like he, there's a scene. It's ridiculous. He puts bullets in between his fingers and puts his hand over a fire, yeah. and that like sets the like. It's just one of those ridiculous cult films, like a uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Just a ridiculous movie that when it first came out was like okay, that's kind of cool, you know. But then ten years later, it had this huge cult yeah. following that everybody was obsessed with.
Owen. You ever seen the, oh, it's the Jackal with Bruce Willis? Yes, I love the Jackal. That was one of Jack Black's first movies. Clive Owen, have you seen The Inside Man? I got to see his face. Man. Okay. Well, Shoot Him Up was the name of the movie. That's Clive Owen. Oh, no. He was in The Inside Man where they robbed the bank and build the wall inside the 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 whatchamajiggy. But yeah, no, that, anyway. Um, but that's, the, again, getting off on a tangent here about movies. Um, that was that movie that I was saying it's called Shoot Him Up. But Boondock Saints is one of those movies, man, where it's just it's just good, regardless of of it's it's timeless. You know, it's a good flick. You can watch it whenever. There's a lot of movies that way. Like you can't tell me if if I meet somebody and they and they can tell me they honestly wouldn't mind setting like if they would be totally against setting down if they had time to watch the Gladiator, mm-hmm. like I would think something was wrong with them. Like <laughs> seriously? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like the Glad you don't yeah. want to watch that? Glad three hundred. Uh, right. I like the first one. I didn't see the other ones. I didn't see any yeah. other ones. It's good. Yeah. I'm, 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 it's kind of, get back to Boondock Saints on the same way. Like, I think they made, I know they made for sure a, a legitimate sequel to it. Um, and I saw it, but like, once, you know, regular Boondock Saints, I'll, I'll watch, I'll, yeah. I'll watch it whenever, you know, but the sequel, it's like, yeah, I mean, I used to have a soldier that had the prayers tattooed on his arm. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got one. My Greg's got the other one, you know. So like, we we have a, we 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 bit into it hard, just like everybody did in, in the late two thousands uh, with the whole Boondock thing. But uh, some some movies just grab you, you know, like Fifth Element, you know, like we we're talking about Multivest, you know, they just something about it, they just get you and it holds on. So I'm thirty seven, so I'm trying to figure out how you would have been when it come out. But movies that I really like back in. Like when I was real young, uh, Legend of the Fall with mm-hmm. Brad Pitt mm-hmm. as a code ass movie, mm-hmm. and then uh, Last of the Mohicans, mm-hmm. dude, that's a code ass movie. Too. Yeah, yeah, Last of the Mohicans. I can't. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah, he plays the main character in on that one. That was stellar. Brad Pitt fighting a bear in Legends of the Fall. That's the most gangster. This is the most gangster part of that. And the it's whole so storyline of that. The, the whole movie's fantastic, obviously. Uh, but yeah, just to like to have the the situation and the scenario that he had with like his brother's wife. And then go out and have a bear fucking take you out. It's like, all right, bro. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the whole storyline was leading up to that moment. It was like, because mm-hmm. when he left the first time, he was the, the sleeping bear, right? His, his dad, I think his, somebody was talking in the background. I want to say it was his dad, I think Anthony so. Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. But the sleeping, no, it was that, uh, the Native American dude. I don't remember the one staff. It was one staff. Okay. About the sleeping bear. And then so he come back and he was in hibernation. But when his wife died, he was out of hibernation and went nuts. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, ultimately he found that bear again. Bro, it was... This is a good movie. This is a good one. Yeah, I like Legends of the Fall. I said last of the movie against it's another good one. Yeah, definitely. So, at 33, you already know you want next for the big fight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one contender or the championship fight. If that completely falls through, would there be anybody you'd be willing to take on just for... this? I mean, just, just to test yourself. You know, either moving back up. I, I don't know how much weight you could you could lose. Yeah. I, I would think forty five is too low, though, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think I'm too tall for forty five, man. I mean, I think I can make it. I just think I would lose too much in the process. I don't yeah. think I would have the speed. I don't think I'd have the spring. Um, Especially if you had to bump back up, right? right you yeah. know, like I just I don't think that I don't think forty five is the right choice. Fifty five right. is definitely where I where I should be and where I want to stay. If I can't have a number one contender shot and if I can't have the title shot for whatever reason, yeah, I think there are a couple of fights at 55 that are really 
intriguing for me. Um, the Tyler Goodjohn is is a fun fight for me. He's you know the top thing out of Europe. Uh, he the the champ took him to a decision. That would be a good fight for me to keep me. It'd be a good payday, and it would keep me relevant as far as the sport is concerned. I think Martin Brown would be a good fight for me. He's he's ranked number two or number three right now. He just took the champ to a decision as well. I think that would be a good fight for me as far as like my career is concerned. As far as like exciting fights, like fights that like I want or that I dream about, so to speak. They're not really there, man. You know, like my goal, like Chad Mendez is the number one contender and that is a big fight regardless of who you are. Luis Palomino is the champ and that's a big fight regardless of who you are. Tyler Goodjohn is a big name. So that's a big fight regardless of who you are. Outside of that, in my division, there really isn't anybody that's a name or that is that that impresses me. Uh, like I said, uh, Martin Brown, he's, he's a talented guy and he's in the top three in the division. So that fight makes sense. And then there's another guy, the guy that he, he beat before, uh, Bobby Taylor, Bobby Taylor's in there as well. But like, I I don't, I, I don't think Bobby Taylor's all that impressive. I think he's a 42 year old wash up MMA fighter who smashed two guys had no business being in there with them and they got beat up by somebody who was more athletic and Martin Brown so that fight doesn't interest me as far as like a fight is concerned but I think the grand theme or the thought that should be taken into consideration here is like I I, I, I fight to get paid I have I, I, I gotta complete my contract and fight and I gotta you know pay my bills and eat so I can't always get the fights or take the fights that I want. Sometimes I have to take the fights that they give me. I'm fortunate that I'm in a position now where I've won the last three, so I can kind of pick and choose where I want to go and what I want to do. I have that positioning. At the end of the day, it's the, the final say is still on them. The fights that I want, the champion, the number one contender, Luis Palomino, uh, Chad Mendez, fights that interest me. Tyler Goodjohn sounds like a fun fight. There's another guy who just came out of Europe front came from Wales but he looked he looked pretty good in his last performance he beat Adam Pellerano knocked him out pretty quick um so that would probably be that could be an interesting fight you know could be fun but he's a really nice guy I don't have anything against him you know just be like you know you want to get paid and go fight okay let's do that I'm at the point in my career right now like I said I'm 33 years old man if I'm lucky and I mean lucky I'll get five more years out of this the best of luck no serious injuries no surgeries I got five more years I can't just be fighting anybody and everybody because people want to see it. Like I, I want to do something. I've had a career. Now I need to put a staple on it and make it something noteworthy. So that's what I'm looking for. That's the point in my career that I'm in now is if I'm going to fight somebody that's not a champion or a number one contender, it's got to do something for my legacy. Three of your losses, you've avenged one of them. The other two, what if they offered you any of them? Would you, would you be interested in moving back up and, t- and trying that out? I mean, I, I, um, honestly, I don't think they. I don't think. I don't think they would. But I think, like Julian, I don't, I don't think, think they, they would accept it. Yeah, because I, I think both of them fights, they know that they can be beat. That you can beat them. I, I agree Especially with you, Joey. I mean, I I agree with you on that. But but he is ranked though, so yeah, and, and he is, and but. What does that mean? Though? Right. You yeah. Know, I mean, look yeah, at, I was looking at that. Right. <laughs> what does yeah. that mean? Right. Yeah. So like I said, Chad Mendez is ranked number one. He's had one fight. Yeah. Like I'm not ranked at all. And I've had three, three finish. Actually, I've had seven. I'm four and three and I'm three and oh in my division. He's had so seven fights, three and oh in the division unranked. He's had one fight. He's ranked number one. 
they don't make any sense. You know, the rankings are, are shenanigans. But, the, like, I wouldn't mind fighting Elmore at 165 again for the right money. That's really what it comes down to. Like I said, the fight's got to make sense. Like, I would like uh, uh, avenging a loss makes sense for my legacy. I did it against Diego. All right, cool. Let's go. Let's go back to 65 and do it against Joe. I'm not opposed to that, but I need enough time to put on the weight and I need enough money to do it. But like I said, it's got to make sense for my career and for my legacy. I'm not just going to go up and fight him at 165 on seven weeks notice. That's silly. It doesn't give me enough time to prepare for, for, for the weight. Give me three or four months. You know, okay, all right, cool. Well, you know, we can think about that. Um, but I'll be completely honest with you, man. I don't. I think after he fights, I forget who he's fighting. He's Connor Tierney. He's fighting Connor Tierney in London next uh, in July. And Tierney is a true sixty fiver that fights just like I do. I don't think Elmore is going to be fighting anymore after he gets after he goes to London. Honestly and truly, after what I did to him, and then what Leonard Garcia did to him, and then what I believe Connor Tierney is going to do to him, he'll he'll probably retire after this fight. If I had to make an assumption, so I think that fight's kind of out the window. And then you know, with with uh, Julian Lane, I fought him at 170 pounds. One, that division doesn't exist anymore. Everything's on fives, um, so it'd have to be a 175 pound fight, and that is just crazy for me to take. Again, it would have to be one of those situations where, like the event, avenging my lo- the loss does good for my legacy, uh, but the pay has to be so astronomical that I make it makes sense well, for yeah, me I mean, to stay at one hundred seventy pounds. You're taking all the risk. Exactly, you know, one hundred seventy five. When I, I guarantee you, I'm fully clothed right now, not even one hundred seventy five pounds. So, you know, that would be something. Again, you know, you're gonna need to give me three or four months. Let me start lifting, get my weight right, get everything down the way that it's supposed to be so I can come in there fully primed 175 pounds and still fight, you know, a damn near 200 pound Julian Lane. Is it, or is it an option? Absolutely. Would I consider it? Absolutely. But it's got to make sense. Yeah. Exactly. Same. So that, I think that's just like, so where I'm at in, in, in my career right now is I can't, can't just go out there and fight guys for the sake of fighting them i'm not 21 anymore you know i it's 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 not fun to go fight people anymore like there was a time when it was cool now it's my career you know so it's gotta make sense (laughs) as far as uh you know you're 33 how long do you think you'll go like i said man if i'm lucky and and i time it out the way that i feel i can time it out i probably got till 38 you know uh the way i see my career progressing is I've got two fights on my on my contract left. And I genuinely see that going number one contender title fight or he vacates title fight defense. Either way, I see me having that title by the time my contract is up. My contract is up in April. So I've got 10 months, nine months, something like that to get these last two fights done and get that title. Then I want to renew my contract for three more, and I want to defend that belt three times. Once I've defended that belt three times, I kind of want to wash my hands of the situation as far as combat sports go and see where I'm at and how I feel. And that doesn't mean like fully retire, wash my hands. It just means like, all right, I, I, I set out a goal of winning the championship. I got it. I set out a goal of redoing my contract and defending three times. I got it. Okay. Now I can take some time, sit back, relax, maybe vacate, whatever. But dude, let 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 
combat sports go on and do its own thing while I see where I'm at at, you know, 34, 35 years old at this point, see how my body feels. And if I still feel great, I still feel ready, then I get back to it for a couple of years. And if I don't, if I've got enough money or I've shed enough of my ego or whatever it is and I don't have to fight anymore and don't have to do it, then I won't. I'll be the first to tell you I fight because I need it you know, financially, right. you know, like I love combat sports. I love combatives in general, but I don't go out and get punched in the face because I love it. I don't get new scars on a monthly basis. Cause I love it. I do that cause it, it gets me what I need financially and it allows me to keep my gym afloat. And, and, and it, it allows me to prove to people that I've been there. I've done that. And I can also get you there, Yeah, 100%. you know? Um, and that's really the end game. That's, that's, that was the whole reason I got into this sport, got into fighting in general, is because I love coaching. And I can't coach if I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So I got to know what I'm doing. So I started yeah. fighting. Um, so in-game, perfect career. Like I said, I finished this. I end this contract with the championship. I renew it, defend it three times. And then around 35, I just kind of relax and see where I'm at. If everything goes perfectly, um, a couple more fights, MMA, bare knuckle, whatever, you know, just kind of play around. And hopefully at that point I would have built enough of a name and a reputation and a resume that I can go wherever I want. Maybe I want to do some glove boxing I can go glove box. You know, if I want to go do some MMA, I can go over here and do MMA. If I want to go over here and do, you know, bare knuckle, I can do bare knuckle. If Triller calls and they want me to beat up a YouTube yeah. star, I can do that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like it's whatever. I can go wherever I want yeah. because I've, I've established myself at that point. I set out to accomplish the goal, the, the career goals that I had. And now it's just kind of, you know, wherever it takes me. The trajectory I'm at right now is by the time this contract's up, I want that belt. That's that's my goal and that's that's where I'm at mentally right now is get that belt and then defend it three times and go from there. So yeah, I think hopefully that happens before, you know, 35, 38 area. I think that's good as place as any to end it. Is there anything you want to put out? I did what you said something about going to a wrestling room with some police officers. Well, the reason I asked is because um, the gym that I have in Lawton, we we run the three day combatives training for the police force in oh, really? Lawton. Um, so anytime the new cadets come in or the fire marshals or new hires for pretty much anywhere in Oklahoma. We have an optional course that we run for all of the uh, for the, the, the cadets coming in. It's three days, combatives training, things like that. But what I'm trying to get implemented now and we're doing a little more frequently is now on Sundays, we've got cops that come in and we do blue jitsu, which is basically jujitsu for cops to keep you safe and really? not let you, you know, that works twofold. One, it keeps you safe and gives you the confidence to be able to handle yourself in a hand-to-hand altercation or scenario. Two, it keeps the civilians safe because then you're less likely to be tempted to pull your gun because you're freaked out. You're more confident in your ability to hand yourself and handle yourself in a self-defense scenario. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's helping twofold. Um, and it's program starting really small now, but we're trying to build it and grow it. And like you said, you're working with the highway patrol. So I just figured it would be a great opportunity for me to come in and just present them with the same information and yeah, just the same kind of idea. And yeah, you know, maybe we can start cross contaminating a little bit. Yeah. You guys come to me, we can come to you and you know, cause we work on Sundays and they were talking about having another day throughout the week. So I might be able to pull some guys over there on Tuesdays as well. Cause I, I quit. I shouldn't say I quit. I'm done teaching at eight and you know, I could be there by, by eight 30 potentially. Um, yeah, might be able to make that happen. Might be able to make that work, but that's, that's something that I have, uh, 
has has affected me personally and pretty emotionally is uh, all of the, the 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 cop nonsense going on with just like the the hatred towards the police, but also just cops killing people for no damn reason. Um, and I've found myself in a position where I I feel like I can help even if it's little. So. That's what I want to do. That's what we're doing on on Sundays out there. And if that's what you guys are doing on Tuesdays, yeah. I want to try to be there. I want to. No, hundred percent, man. I mean, we would love to have you. And I let the boys know. And thank you for being on.